But what a week we've had. Gripping, enthralling, engrossing, and stimulating are a few words that describe the viewing experience of what was the spectacle of finals footy. As we get close to the top of the pyramid of what, this, of what is the season of 2020, all doubts of the state of the game were banished as class, talent, and skill entered the arena. So welcome as we deliver this week's post-games break. Welcome back, gentlemen. There you go, go mate. mate. Good, typical, of course. Unfortunately, we don't have Derb this week. Uh, big preparations for Derb getting another final on Friday night. So well done to him. Get around here, I'm sure. Get around here! He's very, very happy with himself too, Paddy. Don't worry about that. He is. He's uh, definitely about the gym. He's looking very swollen. But S- some think he's a bit too big for us now. So. <laughs> he's, uh, he's past his time. As we're talking about the Friday night game, a bit straight into it. Richmond, take on St Kilda. Obviously, Titan Dunn and St Kilda having a great victory with them. Frank, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, obviously Saints had a great win um, against the Dogs. But, yeah, obviously they're going to be missing Ryder. Pretty uh, shattering for him. 250-odd games. Finally played in a winning final. Does his hammy in the last 60 seconds. Um Poor bloke. He's been through a lot, obviously, through the whole Essendon drug saga, then going to Port and then back. So feel for him. Um, you know, Carlisle going home as well. And then I'm not sure what's happened with Ben Long, but, you know, three three blokes out who I think play reasonably important roles for him. Um, yeah, I think what they did against the Dogs was really good. But um, against the Tigers, I'm not sure that sort of game is going to stand up because I think the Tigers will be primed to bounce back and um, get the job done pretty pretty comfortably. But in saying that, I've had an absolute shocking year with the tips. was 0 from 4 last week. So me saying Richmond's going to win means St Kilda could be a big show. Uh, Wiz, would you like to touch on Richmond side of things of this game? Uh, yeah, the Tigers will be hurting after a loss. Uh, they don't lose too many Big finals, but I didn't think they were too bad. Brisbane were just really good. Uh, I think they will bounce back this week. I'll save my big call for the big call section. But uh, as Frank mentioned, the Saints have got a few out, uh, and they're just gonna they're gonna miss Carlisle and um, Ryder in particularly. So I think that's gonna and I hope I think Richmond should get Lynch back, which will help them because Chole was pretty ordinary last week, and good sides don't normally play back to back bad ones. So. I'm expecting uh, Richmond to bounce back this week, Paddy. I also don't think um, I went to the game on Saturday, the Saints game, and get around they, they, the way they were able to get over the back against the Dogs was far too easy. Like there was just space everywhere. I don't think Richmond will let them do that, and I don't think um, someone like Jaron Geary will be able to um, take Caleb Daniel or Jason Johannesson back to the square like he did. Um, like, that their sort of tactics and game plan, I don't think it'll work as well against the Tigers. As Straight to Bolter, tail him up, get around Captain Geary. Uh, I got a couple of play on Bolter. <laughs> uh, a couple of things on both sides of the spectrum. Obviously, we talked about Richmond. They didn't play that badly. Obviously, Brisbane played really well. Just talking about Richmond, and we said it earlier in the year when they weren't going as well, it's just the undisciplinary things. That cost them. Yes, that was English of some sort. So, uh, yeah. You're going as well for Doug, you are. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm, I'm going very well, just leading into it. So, I think Richmond, there's not a lot to worry about. Obviously, they played well, just come up with a very good opposition. One thing I want to touch on with the Saints uh, Nick, I think his first name is Caulfield, played really well. I think he's going to be a very good player. 
um, and just everything he does with the club. And it's definitely a big thing for the Saints going forward. Just one but, thing you mentioned, Paddy. You've just oh, sorry, are you still going in? No, I was I was just going to move on, but uh, your turn. Uh, no, just I just think uh, there might have been a slight bit of arrogance crept into the Tigers this year, just especially with Dimmer, just missing the start of the anthem and having a good laugh about it, and Cochran was having a good laugh about it too, whilst Fagan and the Lions were pretty steely at the other end. I think they just need to um, you know, just remember that they're not whole unbeatable the Tigers, but I don't, as I said, I think they'll bounce back. Yeah, this this game's on blowout watch, Paddy. Saints, Saints, Saints members are happy. They've had a win in finals. Now they're just a speed up for the Tigs. <laughs> on blowout watch, a couple of people over ISO and their waistline. I like it. <laughs> we'll move on to the highly anticipated game within this group. Your guys, Cat's sake on my, my boys and the pies. Um, I don't know who I'm going to ask first, but I'm going to go with Fez. Talk to me about the Cats, what they did right, what they did wrong, everything around them. Well, you, so you want to dissect the last game? I don't want to. I don't want to go into a six-hour th- chat about Chris Scott and how you don't that's like him coaching. Thoroughly chop into my spray, Paddy. <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll keep the powder dry on how Geelong played last week. I will just say, when it comes to this week, I hope Geelong kick better than one goal eight from set shots. I think if Geelong kick better than one goal eight in set shots, they'll still lose by ten goals because they're shit. <laughs> But, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it, fair enough. Wiz, anything ter- else? In terms of this game, Paddy, uh, Geelong, funnily enough, I reckon nearly would have been barracking for West Coast because I think they've got a better record against West Coast than Collingwood. Collingwood beat Geelong in the qualifying final last year, also touched them up at Optus early in the year when Dugowie kicked five. So especially Collingwood's forward line, doesn't not a great matchup for Geelong. They normally go really small with Dugowie, Hoskin, Elliott, and Elliott deep. Uh, I don't think they'll drop one at Cameron. I don't think Cameron will play. Um, that I find that really interesting because I was, thought he played all right last week. I hope, I, I hope he does play from a Geelong point of view. Uh, he did he did play well, and it may have freed up Big Cox, so he's uh, he's played his game, so he won't touch it. Um, but <laughs> I, no, I, if pop, I was Geelong, I would be going after Mason Cox. Has pr- proved he can play in finals. They're looking for that exactly. <laughs> Sorry, it's gone. Yeah, he's Key also forwards. played. Don't get a kick against Geelong, buddy. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. I am. Um, no, well, look, Geelong need to bounce back. Every year this happens, the qualifying final losers get, um, you know, bandied around and straight sets every year gets said. And very often, it uh, doesn't happen very often where they do go out in straight sets. And Geelong, you know, we cop shit from brain dead morons like the ultra in 20 minutes every year <laughs> saying, you know, straight sets. And it's happened once. Geelong have been out straight sets once. And I think Hawthorne did it a couple of years ago, but it doesn't think, happen very often. I think Hawthorne did twice, didn't they? They definitely did it in 2016. I reckon you'd be a little bit worried about Collingwood having played almost their grand final last week. I know that that gets said a bit, but it was such a massive game, such a contest, and they had to really steal themselves, had it backs against a wall with the quarantine, all that sort of shit, and now to back that up is very difficult. So... (laughs) Back up the pie truck. Um, Frank is a neutral. He might be one to ask, but after Fez is done... Yeah, I think that's a good point. We'll throw it to Frankie. Uh, well, I want to hear Farley's thoughts first on the oh. on the pies, and then then I can uh, just give a well-rounded yeah, final word, mate. You have well-rounded well, view. The heart is still pumping. I cannot lie. I reckon I've watched Mason Cox compilation at least twenty-five times in the past couple of days. But I think what we uh, talked about last week, or miss, um, especially, was just Collingwood's formula going forward and getting that right. And I think players like my check. 
uh, Cox and Dugowie and even like people like Josh Thomas and Stevenson did pitch in and did their role kind of thing. I know Stevenson was quite out of form when he was picked when he thought he wouldn't be. So I just think that worked well for Collingwood, obviously. I think matchup-wise, like you said, with Geelong will be interesting. But I would like to think Collingwood go in as it's a very even game, not as heavy it was as to West Coast last week. But that's just my thoughts. Frank, kick it just away. Before, just before Frank starts, is that the first or last time you'll be watching a Cox compilation? Uh, um, Low-hanging no, fruit, whiz. Uh, uh, no, no comment. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh, Frank? <laughs> um, no, I think what Wiz was saying about Darcy Cameron Dry, I don't think he should play this week. Um, I think he purely played to work over Natanui. Um, but, uh, you know, Geelong's, Geelong's back line with Taylor and Henderson back there, they can't, Cameron won't get a kick if he plays forward against them. So I think they're better off going small with, you know, Hoskin Elliott, Dugowie, Stevenson. I don't think Geelong's small defenders are that good, you know, with Buse and Henry and College Ashney. I think they, they, they get um, found out a bit um, come finals time. And so, and I think the big thing is, I think where a lot of finals are decided is can those lesser players, you know, contribute in some capacity and at the moment, and I think it's been Geelong's issue for a while, they they don't. So the likes of Gary Rowan up forward, you know, Buse and stuff down back. Um, Jack, Henry, genuine. Buse and Henry actually for the first time in finals, I reckon, played all right. But Colin has now built a mountain of horrendous finals work. Set like shots. His, loves set shots. His portfolio of stinking it up in finals, Jake Colin is incredibly long yeah. and lengthy. And, and then you've also got, you know, blokes like Atkins and Dalhouse up the other end, you know, can they contribute and kick a goal here or there? Surely like, Stephen comes in this like week. A, Stephen's out for the year. Stephen did yeah. a hammy. Gone, gone, Steve. But, you know, like a, it's not like that. Steve Motlop did to you blokes with three goals, like Mason Cox did with three goals. These blokes that don't tend to do a lot all the time, just pop up and contribute out of nowhere. Don't have it's many touches. Just in the big games. But, just in the even, big games, you know, mate. Even if you look at Brisbane, I think McStay had three touches, but he kicked a goal. Cam Rayner had five touches, he kicked a goal. Those they was horrendous, mate. Those little guys, he was out there till after those, but they still kicked those little goals they contributed rather than doing what Gary Rowan did, who should be getting the Leon Davis treatment and dropped for Brings every single final that he's played from now on. Do you know what? Brings the ball to ground, Gary Rowan. They kick it to him and he brings the ball to ground. He's a, he's a medium-sized forward. He's supposed to be getting it on the ground or taking marks on the lead, which he, he doesn't He plays need like up. a key forward, though. Watch him Especially kick forward this week and just tear it up somehow. You should, Gary Rowan's issue was the way Geelong moved the ball forward, I think, more so than Gary Rowan. Uh, and that's not me defending him. Oh, his body of work in finals <laughs> cannot be argued against. I was going to ask what his excuse is in his other 16 finals. Yeah, no. Um, but no, nah, I think Geelong... Should get the job done. I think Pies played their grand final. Geelong been in better side all year, so Geelong to get the better job side done. all year. Fair enough. Uh, you finished eighth, mate. They finished all, top four, mate. Oh, but all year beat them earlier in the year. Wouldn't say they're better than that start round. Cop that. Dog. Consistently, um, mate. <laughs> um, we'll go on to what we're looking forward to after game previews. Uh, firstly, I'll kick us off. I'm really interested to see what Ratten does with St Kilda's tactics. Obviously, having. Um, a fair few of their personnel, or their good personnel out, sorry, and just see what he does, tinks with the game plan a little bit. Obviously, Frank talked about a little bit how he said 
They won't be able to get over the back. So will they try and uh, look inside 50 with the shallow entries, try and get the hit up target, or will they try and still come back the Tigers' defence? So that's just me. Frank, would you like to tell us what you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, actually, I'm looking forward to seeing what St Kilda can produce as well. But I think Collingwood-Geelong, I think that's where it's at this week. That's a big, big blockbuster, um, you know, two big sides. It's a shame it's not at the MCG with, you know, 95,000 people there. GMHBA be, for you, the other blokes that Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, should be, that. should be GMHBA. But, um, but, yeah, that's where I reckon it's at this week. And I reckon looking forward to seeing what Dugowie can produce. He kicked five earlier in the year. So looking forward to him putting on a show, I reckon. Best from Wes? Um, I am looking forward to the Tigers-Saints game because they're two teams that actually look to move the ball quickly. Look to have some chaos and put some speed on the game. I'm also looking forward to Chris Scott being sacked post game. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to this week. <laughs> With uh, I'm looking forward to one matchup in particular because there's been a couple of St Kilda pages coming out and calling Callum Wilkie the accountant and saying that his record on Dustin Martin is unrivaled and he blankets him. I'm looking forward to does sticking his wand up him this week is what I'm looking forward to because I don't know, it's not Wilkie's fault, but the Saints, there's some enough Saints out there. There are some real enough Saints. I have trade rumours page. Yes, yes. <laughs> Scooper. So uh, I've enjoyed what the Saints are bringing as a club, but I think yeah, it could be real ugly this week. So, yeah, interesting to see how does goes when he goes forward against Kelly Wilkie. It's uh will be a very interesting prospect. Uh, we'll go on to the sides now that did get eliminated. We'll touch on the dogs first. I was talking to a couple of dog supporters over the last couple of days, and they said it was pure frustration watching. Sorry, looking at the result of that game, knowing that they couldn't even put in a four quarter performance in a final, do or die. And I think it. I'm not sure if it touched on their character or not because I don't know what it means to play bad. But I just think at this level of the game that you're playing, you just should be up for it all the time. I know Fez touched on it a little bit earlier in the year and he goes, you know, if you're playing elite sport, you need to be there hundred percent of the time. So I just think that it's a real, it's a real issue for the dogs. Obviously it's been like that for a whole year or multiple years. So it's, it's real worrying signs. Obviously Bevo two years in a row, they've gone out the first round of finals, haven't won a final since 2016. So it's really interesting that, but yeah, I'll stop beating up the dogs whiz. Oh, I'm going to continue to beat them up. I just, they're, <laughs> Supporter base just was, you know, that bad for that long that they just, you know, they were that ecstatic with 2016. Well, guess what? That's four seasons ago now. No one gives a shit. It's gone. So they need to move on. They haven't haven't played in two final series in the last four years and have been beaten easily. Well, I know they, they rallied late, but they've been beaten easily in two elimination finals. So, and the Saints aren't a, you know, a will beat aside. And I just, they've got, Blokes like Ryan Gardner as their second key defender and Josh Bruce as their second key forward. They are miles off it. And I don't know what they're doing with Tim English, but he's going to be a good player. But at the moment, he is nowhere near it. He got absolutely fisted on the weekend. So they've got a lot of holes in their list management. Yes, they've got a great midfield, but there's holes everywhere and they're way too accepting of mediocrity. The other thing that you have to... I know they won the flag in 2016, but at the end of the day, they finished seventh and put together a miracle month of footy. So I know, obviously, flag had got to be good to win it, but at the end of the day, that was a miracle month of footy that they played, and they finished seventh. So I think you nearly need to take the flag 
out of it as well to a certain extent because they really haven't done um, a hell of a lot. I think that's I think that's the that's the perfect point though, Frank. Take the take the flag out of it and still then improved. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. But they're still not that old either. Like they're they're good players. They're still under 25, I would say, in the McRae, Dunkley, Bontempelli sort of Bailey Smith even now coming into it. I. I 100% agree with you about their key forwards and backs, but at least they bought Keith in last year, um, so they they need to uh, they need to address what you've spoken about. Because a, they, need, they need another key forward to get back. Well, they Josh get, Bruce is not the answer. They've got um, send Bruce back. Why don't why not place play Bruce back? Why would you? Oh, I was getting this. That leads into my next question. Is Aaron Norton their future centre half forward or future centre half back? Yeah, he's drafted as a back, obviously. Mm, I I still think he's going to be good enough as a forward. If you had to pick, I think between a a really good forward and an elite defender, I'd still take a really good forward. I think, um, especially if they don't have anyone else. But if they if you know Jamara comes in next year and if they can snag one other one and he's there's a hole back, then send him back. But I think at the moment forwards the right spot for him. But yeah, Bruce. Oh. I want to touch on just the flip side of what we're talking about with Beveridge and their success and taking followers out of the equation. I know Fez is a very uh, big advocate for getting rid of Scott. Do you do you almost take finals out of that because that's the same scenario or is it completely different? What's your question? So it's you talk about Beveridge and how he's gone, uh, how they finished seventh and then they've played well in finals and yet you said take the finals equation out of it. And then really take the flag, take the flag out of it. Take the flag out of it. So, do you judge a coach on their home and away form, or like you're saying, Chris Scott? Is it truly a bad scenario that he gets in that his finals record is bad, or is that purely personal? I hear what he's saying because I'm sort of saying judge Chris Scott on finals, but judge Bevo on where he's getting to um, home and away. I I think it's weighted toward finals, but you've got to include both. But I think. I think it's probably 70-30, even 80-20 finals. But you've, you've obviously got to get there, but then you've got to play well. Like There's no point getting there and not performing. But they, they topped up their list from last year. So as Fez said, their core group of good players are still in the right age bracket. They've gone out and got Bruce and Keith, and they haven't improved at all. So I don't, there's just other holes there. And I just I don't know. They, they can't get set on a team. They can't get set on they, – they're – their um, game structure and style seems to be not what the good sides are doing. It's just, yeah, um, I wouldn't be happy if I was a dog. Can we get can we get Shacky on to ask him what Bevo's misses is like in the sack? Yeah, he hates Josh Shacky. Yeah, uh, we'll stop yeah, talking I, I about. I completely the... forgot about him. Mm. Um, we'll go from one west to the other. We'll talk about West Coast now. Obviously, lost in the weekend. Uh, obviously, really disappointing. Had quite a good year. Probably lost form at the. Wrong time there in the last couple rounds, and then was uh, unfortunate. I don't think they played that bad on um, Saturday, was it? Yeah, Saturday night. So I think they'll find it really disappointing. And like Adam Simpson said, there's obviously a really empty hole that they had. They felt like they had more in the tank, but unfortunately, that's the reality of footy and not finishing the top four, knocking double chance. But that's just my call on West Coast. And I think there's nothing too concerning going forward. I think they'll still be good for a good amount of time. I don't know about that, Paddy. I reckon they've missed a really, really big opportunity. Uh, they got jo- uh, Tim Kelly in this year into a what was a premiership side a couple of years ago. Josh Kennedy is not getting any younger. He is now, what is he? I was just checking that. He is 33. 32. 33, and he'll be 34 next year. 
Uh, Jack Darling is nearly 30, and I don't think he's going to be... 28, Darling. He's still right. Yeah, Oscar Allen's going to be an absolute gun, so I reckon he just fills in Kennedy's role, no worries. Yeah, but Hearns, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Duggan's I, replacing her nicely. Duggan's a good player. But, um, yeah, I, I just think they've missed, missed an opportunity there uh, last couple of years to win another one. In my yeah, I, I'm, I'm, di- I'm disagreeing with what you're saying there, Wiz, but I actually... Agree agree with the sentence. Uh, if if they didn't suck it up about the hub early in the year and actually beat some of those sides they should have at the start, they would have got the double chance, no worries. And then when you go into an elimination final against another side that sort of hasn't had the best year, um, you do. You, you you lose a coin flip game and then, you, then you're out. And they miss that opportunity. I think if Elliot Yo plays, I reckon he is an absolute gun. I reckon if Yo plays, they win. Um, get that extra deep um, extra midfielder in adds, adds to their depth makes them a better side so I think it all I think everything that could have gone wrong for West Coast this year went wrong and I still think they'll be good next year I think when, it, when it all gets back to normal yeah I think that that's almost sorry Frank I think it's a sort of almost the reality of football in general though when we've talked about there's been multiple sides at the top end of the ladder that have had their injuries and I think West Coast just haven't dealt with them very well so that's just my point of view Anyone else want to touch on West Coast themselves? Yeah, well, is... I think I think I agree with both Wiz and Fez in that. I think for me, I think West Coast have the best list in the competition fairly comfortably across the board with their key backs through the midfield, a couple of key forwards. Small forwards are really good. Um, small, they've got guns everywhere. So I think they've missed massive opportunities not making the top four, but they're good enough going forward and they should be good enough um, going forward to make the top four and really contend. Otherwise, if they don't contend next year, then I think there's got to be some question marks on what Adam Simpson is doing with that group and if they need a change because they should be doing much better than they have the last couple of years. Very similar. The other, one, the other one's not new. He's 31 next year. I don't know how deep he's going to play into his 30s. So. Doesn't have a massive tank already, so it's definitely it's still better. Oh, did that Bailey Smith heat played all right when he got a game this year? The other Bailey Smith, yeah, I Bailey think he's, Williams. I think Bailey Williams. Williams sorry, he's yeah. more he's more a forward ruck rather than an out and out ruck. I think. Yeah, they they talked about that. He's definitely a forward playing second ruck role kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see how if Nadnui does drop off. So much of their game is based around centre bounce. How do they then? They feel I feel like they have to change. He hasn't played how they play a little bit. They definitely but, have I mean, this year. Like that was where they scored all their points from. Yeah, surely he has a bit more longevity than most, just because of how much footy he's missed. Or is sort of, in the, my yeah. guess, it's not a nice for a big bloke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting when you say they might have to change their game plan. I don't think it will impact them as much him leaving. I, I've always had this theory over the last couple of years that hitouts to advantage aren't necessarily, uh, I can't think like important to scoring. Like I know. Obviously, West Coast do it very well. But other than that, I don't think it's detrimental if they lose a Ruckman that you can still work a game plan around it. So that's just my opinion. You've looked at the... when It's just when they're as good as what he produces. Yeah. yeah like, oh, he has to silver yeah. service that is nobody in the competition even close to what he They produces. get out the front of the stoppage like no other team does. It's hard to watch the game against Collingwood on the weekend and not think that Nui is an absolute asset to that side. He was unbelievable putting their mids into space when they were coming. Well, I think Chris Scott said earlier in the year, the issue is when you score a goal against West Coast, it goes back to the centre of the ground. Exactly right. So I, I, tell you what, I think that sort of sums it up. 
At the end of the day, tough shit. They're not playing stiff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on to now our big calls for the week. Uh, Fez, would you like to touch on yours? Pies by 10 goals. Pies by 10 goals. Hey, oh, yep. Interesting. I've almost had a heart attack. So I'm going to kick three goals, are they? Two or three <laughs> goals? It's going to cardiac arrest here after hearing that. Um, Wiz, would you like to kind of put me back on the uh, defibrillator here? What do, uh, what's your call? I'm going to go uh, Tigers by 50 and Dusty to kick three. Got to be some shit finals the way we're talking about it at the moment. <laughs> Frank, would you what like you to change You're your mind? You're winning by 10 goals. Would you like? You're winning by 10 I'm, goals, I'm a fan buddy. of footy, mate. I'm not a nuffy. Frank, oh, you're nothing, mate. <laughs> Frank, would you like to touch on yours? Uh, we sort of stole mine. I was going to go Dusty 20 and 3. But I'll also go to Goey to kick a bag of... Bag! Uh, just to just host the press, Paddy, for our uh, Monday night podcast. St Kilda's Ben Long has failed in his tribunal bid, but two, expecting, two expecting to take it to the AFL Appeals Board. How's that? Not out he wants. That's fair I love watching Ben Long. He just does not give a fuck. How about absolutely no, flaws around? The one thing I didn't like back. about it, the one thing I didn't like about it, he kind of saw the contest and he's like, well, I'll go back out here. If you're going to get a week in finals, you absolutely nail the bloke and make sure he doesn't get up. But, but hindsight's a great thing in sport. My big call for the week is either Rewalt or Lynch to kick five plus. It's uh, okay. the way... The way we're going, uh, it's going to be done by both of them if they're going to win by 100 points, like we say. So now we'll go on to our next segment, Get Around Me slash I Was Wrong. Fez, would you like to kick us off once again? Yeah, I was pretty flat when Durf didn't split his pants or stuff off a goal review, but good work to the man. He's uh, umpiring very well, and other blokes in the goal umpiring fraternity aren't having as much fortune with their goal reviews as Durf is, so he's looking good for some uh, real end-of-the-year action. Good luck to the man. Uh, where I will get around myself a little bit is just pumped up the pre-finals by it, said it's good for footy, and the standard of football that came out over the weekend just made me think, you know that whiz bike? He got it wrong. 99% of the time, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. That's what I thought about. That's what crossed my mind uh, watching the weekend footy because, geez, best footy of the year. I reckon we had three of the best games of the season. Get around! So if they played the week before, that wouldn't happen. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. You, well, you got a crystal ball or something. You know that is a fact, do you? That's a fact. I am liking the tension in Ooh. the room or the multiple rooms at the no moment. The listeners could see the look that was oh, coming was, through the camera. There was some real Jesus. malice in that chat. Wiz, just I was wrong is what it says there that you need Ooh. to say, mate. I just said well, it's shit for, I said it's shit for I footy. Was, I was wrong, I think, is what you're looking for. Okay, I'll break up the bitch fight. Fez, I'm going to go back at you here. There's a man by the name of a colour. I can't think of it exactly. It's a dark colour. Purple, that's it. Earlier in the year goes, if Port Adelaide are going to be premiership contenders, then Motlop needs to fire up. And you've gone, he's a dumbass, has no idea. And I tell you what, that's bitten you in the ass. That bad. He's come out. He's torn it up against the old club. A couple of fingers. Here we go. So I'm saying you're wrong, but I'm also getting around Motlop there because I love that shit. Get around him. Get around him. <laughs> no, listen, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Paddy, because, listen, Stevie Motlop had, what, three kicks on the weekend? Two of the goals he kicked, my nana could have fallen over and slotted through the goals if she was out on the field. So Steve Motlop is a genuine spastic, Paddy. He's a genuine spastic. He will not get a kick the rest of the final series. You can take that to the bank. He just asked up, fell into the right spot a couple of times. He is a Spartan purple got that disgustingly wrong. 
hey, Fez, all you have to say is I was wrong. That's oh, all it um, is, mate. That's all it is. He, he said to win to win the premiership. So uh, when they win a premiership, I'll say I was wrong. Till then, Steve Motlop, spastic. <laughs> Wiz. Uh, I got half of mine right. I said Kennedy and Darling would combine for five. They combined for six. Get around it! But they, I didn't. I uh, also said they'd win by 40 points, West Coast, and they got done. So I was wrong, Paddy. Uh, Jared, was it, was it Wiz? Flood. No, I can say it when it's accurate, mate. <laughs> Ball. <laughs> Frank, quick get your cult team going here. What was your. Yeah, no, uh, similar to Wiz, I said West Coast by 60 plus, and I, geez, did I get that wrong? Yes, cop that. You absolute dogs have some faith. <laughs> oh, I've got a. Uh, firstly, I'd like to say I was wrong in a couple of things. Early in the year, I went back to the tapes and I said Charlie Cameron was the best player in the comp. Even though he did play all right in the weekend, he has not been at any type of potentially should be at the moment. Didn't get in the top 40 uh, all Australian list, did he? No. Oh, well, he's just. So he's, not in the top, he's not in the top 50 players in the comp. Yeah, so I was wrong. What's, what's your position on Castagna these days, Paddy? Oh, he's gotten every game, so he's clearly underrated. And I thought he should play all right in the weekend, so. That's just a. Uh, I, I, I'm top still four, saying he's under- forwards ever. I think you've had him. In- that was <laughs> in the top four. <laughs> no, I had him. I had him in underrated players. I did not have him in the small forwards category. But that was 17 episodes ago. Let's let, let that go, guys. Also, you got one, off the fly, didn't you? Yeah. Also, another one I originally got wrong. I said the Tigers and West Coast were done, and then I went back on my word. And then round 14, I went back on my other word and said, <laughs> whoever loses. Out of Richmond and West Coast, they were versing each other that week. I said, whoever loses out of them can't win the flag. I said, just the ladder positioning won't work out and all this. And then I got questioned by Durf, who's too weak to show up tonight because he knows we're going to bring it up. <laughs> and I've explained myself now. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're a dumbass. And I'll tell you what, look at the results now. I was due to get one right. And I'll take that. Get around <laughs> Another one. Just, it's so good to do this. Hang on, hang on, Patty. Hang on. Before you finish there, you, the only what you've said is bang on. You rode off West Coast and they're done. You nailed it. But don't just go after Durf, mate. There is another ginger in this in this video chat right now that also went heavily against you, and you have just driven straight past him, mate. Get the gun out the window and put some bullets into him on the way. As I said, as I said during the week in the group text, if you bandy enough shit out there, eventually one of the shit statements <laughs> will come through. See, listen to how many listen how many he's got. He's got another ten coming here. Well, I'll tell you what was another big call I had, and everyone laughed at me again and said, "I." Danger must have to kick 10 if this happens, if John want to win. But I, Tom Hawke, he, he played, he's played, he's played well in, he played well in 2011, granny. But other than that, I just knew, I had this feeling, I'm like, oh, no, he's due to have a shit one. And Trent McKenzie, our, one of our, I think it was our second or third guest, just towed him up. I let him down five shots at goal. But you, the, ang- him up? But you the angles that he wouldn't Should kick him. Should have kicked a bag. He didn't know he had six angles. shots on goal. He was in his head, mind games. So on this all around, one one thing that Trent did do well, Paddy, he did. Hawkins only really had one easy shot, so he did make sure he went wide. But that was also to do with John's ball movement. He kicked two snaps directly in front and then missed like. There was only one that was uh, directly in front. Everything else was in the pocket. I reckon. I would. I would rather Hawkins kick from that side of the ground than directly in front. He is normally normally nailed. He just did not show up with his goal kicking. Played well, but did not show up. Left his kicking boots at home. Bring well, him this week, you spud. Bad kicking's bad footy, so he played shit. Uh, yep. And that's and that's all I have for getting around myself and saying I was wrong. So you know, I've different. just got a, I've got I'll, this. Just want to say I don't know if anybody heard Kane Corns on the he 
wrote off Collingwood. He came out and gave a little I was wrong. So I just want a little get around us for, you know, just just leaking out into the media world. Kane's taken some tips off us. There's been a few other instances during the year where we're first to the news and then all of a sudden it's popping up on 360 and other shows. So just a little get around us. Get around it! <laughs> I'll tell you what, Frank. I'll put you right back down to earth here. Port Adelaide are pretenders. They've knocked off the red hot Geelong <laughs> and they're in a prelim. I don't think they're pretenders, mate. They are. They could possibly be the real they're deal. They still, so. still won't win the flag, mate. So until they win it, they're contenders. I think is what Frank was going for. Yes. So that's I think they'll it. get steamrolled by our Richmond in a prelim, though. So we'll see yeah, what happens well, there. When they make the granny, then I'll give myself a little. I was wrong. Give yourself an uppercut as well, Frank. Give yeah. yourself an uppercut. We love that. Look at yourself. Well, I guess this week was truly class personified. A man known for his ball use on both sides of his body and ability to evade opposition players for almost two decades. Captaincy, best and fairest in all Australians, only scratched the surface with this man. 350 games at the elite level stipulates how good he actually was. The true son of the West, Doug Hawkins. Welcome, Doug. Good on you, Paddy. Lovely to be on board. Thank you. Very good to have you. Once again, thanks. Um, we'll get straight into it with the questions. So uh, it's well documented that you uh, played at Braybrook and you went straight from the other 17s to then playing league footy. What was the transition like, obviously, being still quite young and then going and versing the gladiators that are AFL footballers? And could you touch on your first game a little bit as it was against North Melbourne, the side you supported as a kid? So, Paddy, probably um, uh, coming out of the Braybrook Juniors, uh, which I did, my last game in 1977 was in the Braybrook Under-17s. We're in a a grand final at a place called Skinnery Serve in Churchill Avenue, Sunshine. Uh, We're playing a mob called Kingsville YMCA. Um, so that was a big grand final. We had about four or 5,000 people there that day. So my next game at the start of 1978 is playing for Footscray against North Melbourne High Barrack Force, a kid, by the way. And my hero was Keith Gregg, and he was playing, obviously, that day. And they'd won the flag in 77 when they drew Collingham and beat them as well. So to go from playing under 17s, it's going to reserve to the Western Oval, which is now the Witten Oval, uh, the play in front of 20,000 people straight up. I mean, it was it was a daunting. It really was amazing to watch those kangaroo blokes run out in the ground. You know, Malcolm Blight and David Dench and, as I said, um, Keith Gregg, Wayne Schimmelbush. Ross Glendening played his first game that day too for North. So for me, the, the change was just... Uh, it, it, was, it was actually scary. It was pretty scary because I was only about you know, eight, eight, nine stone wet, ten stone wet at best. And I'm, and I'm only just, you know, still 17 and a half. So it was uh, a pretty tough assignment. But at the end of the day, coming from Braybrook, you're taught to stand up and be counted. And if you didn't, you know, you get pushed aside. It was pretty simple. Yeah, it's certainly a baptism of fire there. We just want to jump straight into your uh, your prime now. It was obviously golden age of wingers uh, in those mid-80s years with the uh, the 1v1 battle out on the wing with Dipper and Robbie Flower. Um just would love to hear your thoughts on this, the snub of the wingers in the All-Australian team this year and where the wing positions got to. Good question, Mitch. You know, there was some great contest, you know, and you, you touched on Dipper. You didn't know what you're going to get. You know, expect the unexpected. He was very dangerous. Um, it wasn't a real true winger for the bloke, a six-foot-three, bit like a you know, brick, brick shithouse. And, and then, of course, you've got Collingwood's the late Darren Mullane come along in the mid-'80s as well, and he was a... Very, very hard play to play on because he's very, very aggressive, quick, both-sided, good overhead, tough. 
Um, and of course, then you got the brilliance of Robbie Flower, it'd step you, make you look like a goose. Um, so there was just, you know, there was some great wingmen back back in those days. Now, uh, I'm not sure who actually got on the wing, but it was the Bond. The Bond. Uh, Guthrie and uh, Mc- Jack McRae. McRae they had on the Jack, wing. Yeah, Jack two McRae got on the wing, did he? Yep. Mm. And, and Cam Guthrie got on the wing from Geelong. Yeah, that's sort of the question. They they really snubbed. I know Menegola and McCluggage were um, touted, uh, touted as being um, potential Australian wings and probably with two best wingers of the year, but they ended up putting two inside mids out there. When did they ever play wing? You're right, Mitchell. I mean, did you like to play on the wing on them one-on-one? That'd be nice. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, I mean, if Hunter played most of the year, I think yep. you know, he's probably five or six, seven games are pretty good. Um, his finals, final game was okay against St Kilda. Uh, he, he's a winger as well. You look out, but you're right. I mean, the days when they picked the All Australian, it was blokes picked the positions where you played, not not just squeeze you in there. You had to earn that spot because you played there. I mean, yeah, good point, mate. Good point. Just uh, touching back on the baptism of fire that you copped um, when you walked into the Bulldogs and made your debut. Who was it that took you under your wing um, when you first got to the club and really um, got you to settle in and um, adapt to that transition to AFL? Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, uh, I got along with Gary Dempsey, uh, terrific, you know, Brownlow medalist, six-time best and fairest winner. Uh, I immediately got along with him very, very well. Um, young Teddy Whitten, we, we clicked pretty good, Western Suburbs boys. Um, Alan Stoneham. We got the number three jumper of the late EJ Witten when EJ retired in 1970. I got a feeling they gave it to Alan Stone, who had come from Sunshine. Uh, back, he was only 16 or 17 when he came out of the VFA. I got along with Rocky Alan Stone very, very well. Uh, and as opposed to a guy sitting next to me, it was a bloke called Ian Morrison. We, we called him Loper, we called him Van Morrison after the singer. Uh, he wore number eight and I wore number seven. So, them sort of guys were very, very, um, very good looking after a young fella. And I, I had I had a teammate in Robbie Grunewagen. Robbie Grunewagen left Braybrook the same time as me, obviously, and, and we went together, played all of our junior footy together, uh, and we went together to Footscray the same year, obviously, in 78. And uh, another bloke called Brian Wilson, who played at Braybrook, was already down there, uh, who won a Brownlow at Melbourne in 1982, I reckon it was. Uh, so I had some blokes already sort of there already, uh, Jared. But those senior guys, they, they, were, they were pretty good. But it was really funny because... Yet before you, you had to. It was you had to sort of earn your place, if you know what I mean. If you didn't, if you're sort of a fringe type of player, you had to be playing senior footy. It was a, it was a bit of, it was a bit of a mix in it, if you know what I'm trying to say. Until you broke into the seniors, you weren't regarded as a senior in a way. Is that if that makes sort of some sort of sense? Yeah, you're sort of still sitting on the outside looking in. If that helps a little bit. Doug, you've mentioned uh, EJ Whitten a couple of times just there and also Braybrook. What was the influence of EJ um, in your tenure at the Bulldogs and obviously later on you, you passed his record, but it must have been great to get to know Ted and, and spend so much time. Yeah, Jordan, he was an amazing man. He was an amazing man, the great EJ. Um, this year, boys, he's been gone 25 years. Can, can you believe that? You know, he passed away in 95 and uh, every day of my life, I reckon his name comes up somewhere. I'm even wearing the EJ Whitten Foundation hat, as you can see. Um, you know, Teddy Whitten Jr. does a fantastic job with the, the prostate cancer with the, with the foundation. But EJ was the best. Jared, he was the best. Um, 
you know, you get called Mr. Football, you got to be pretty, you got to be pretty good. And I, I didn't see a bit of his footy. I was a young kid, obviously going down to the, the Western Oval to watch Ted play, and uh, and of course he come from Braybrook, the Braybrook Footy Club as well. He had one or two years there before he went to Footscray at a very young age. But he just, he was just a, he was just a fantastic bloke. You blokes, you would love him. He was, a, he was a villain, a bit of a rogue character. Um, what you saw is what you got. When the cameras went on, he was the best. He was just unbelievable with the uh, the media, uh, and again, he just loved the big V. He kept he kept State of Origin footy going, as did Neil Cooley in Adelaide and probably Mal Brown in Western Australia. But uh, Teddy Whitten, um, he was the best. He was the best. Just a fantastic bloke, and I miss him every day. You know, just a great man. Obviously, and uh, you mentioned State of Origin there, and one of the things that EJ is synonymous for is that that uh, 1995 game where he, he went around the Oval for one last time when he was um, had his health battles. Um, that was obviously a, a big moment in footy. I've heard you speak before and um, you, you weren't there that day, but it was obviously a, a tragic end for EJ and to find it on the footy show must have been a, a horrible night. Yeah, yeah, Jordan, it really was. You know, I, I, you know, I spoke to young Ted and Teddy said, listen, Dad's not well enough. He won't make it to the ground. So do what you have to do, Hawk. So I said to Raylene, I was playing at Fitzroy at that stage and uh, we decided to go up the Rich River, up the country with the kids, three kids. And um, cause Ted wasn't going to be there. And then I walked into the, the room and I turned the telly straight on and there I am standing there crying. And Raylene walks in and said, what's, what's wrong? What's happened? I said, Teddy made it. He's made it to the ground and I'm not there. I'm here in bloody Moama Rich River. I should be there, you know, and that was one of my, one of my, you know, biggest regrets. And the other one was I, I didn't go and see him when he was when he was getting pretty crook. I just, I just chose not to go when I probably should have. If, if you know what I'm trying to say, I, I didn't want to see him when he was really you know pretty crook when he had that stroke and obviously um, lost a lot of weight. I just didn't want to see Ted Whitten that way. I wanted to remember the great man as that handshake that he always had and the handshake was something special. It was just amazing handshake he had. Um, so. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do that, and, and I and I and I missed what happened at that MCG. That as I spoke to so many people, that was the most emotional thing they've ever seen at the MCG. Ted Whitten doing that lap it was amazing. Yeah, certainly incredibly sad, but sad times. But helped build the fabric of the AFL uh, in the nineties. There, um, back on your um, career, obviously big ACL. There was talk about um, not making it back and some new age techniques around that reconstruction. What, how, how did you go about getting to the heights you ended up getting to coming off the back of something like that? Mitch, it really ripped me apart, that knee reconstruction in 86. And I was playing my best footy. We were on the back of the finals in 85 where Hawthorne beat us by only 10 points to go into a granny in front of 100,000. What we all, we all play for is to play finals footy and, and 86, we were going along very well. We are sitting about fourth or fifth, fifth at that stage. And there I go down with a knee reconstruction. And I suppose it, it sort of it changed my it changed my life at that stage. You know, as my footy career was over, the surgeon, David Young, said, listen, you may never play again. Uh, your time might be up. I lost my job as a truck driver down at Kidney's Ropes in Footscray, which I loved. Which I loved. It, it fell over. The uh, fiancé took off because I was out drinking and yahooing and and what I had, boys, I didn't know what it was. It was a thing called I was depressed. I had, I had I was depression. It was depression set in, and I didn't I didn't know what it was, and we didn't know what it was back in those days. And for me, my out was to have a beer, and I've always loved a beer. 
that was part of my upbringing coming out of the western suburbs of Braybrook. So, and, and but I was going real hard. I was going real hard, and I just knew there was mornings. Some mornings I'd wake up. I was on the bloody lantern floor in my house, thinking, "What am I doing here?" And I, you know, it just it was ridiculous. The club actually got Gary O'Sullivan to move in for a couple of weeks to try and try and help me. It didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't last long. <laughs> Went back hey, to Shane, his brother, and said, "Listen, I can't do this any longer. This bloke, this bloke's a maverick. One minute he's here, the next, next minute he's not in the joint. He's gone." <laughs> well, uh, it was fun I... too. It was funny too, Mitch. But there were some tough times. But there was some. <laughs> you got to have fun in life, don't you? So there was some, there were some fun parts as well. Yeah, although sort of obviously come off the back of a sad thing there, I, I am keen to tuck into the, the Maverick side uh, and the yahooing that you mentioned there. Um, obviously, for a, for a boy that grew up in uh, public housing, you mentioned ending up with a statue outside the Braybrook Hotel. Um, of all places f- to have a statue, I think uh, out the front of a, a pub's a bit of a bit of an odd one. Are there are a few pots uh, put away in that establishment. Well, let me say this to you, Mitch. You ready, boys? I'm the only person to ever be kicked out of a hotel for underage drinking when I was 16 at the Braybrook Hotel. Three nights in a row they <laughs> kicked me out. <laughs> kicked me out when I was 16. 25 years later, invited me back and put a statue at the front of the hotel. There's no one ever done that. <laughs> no one has ever beaten that ever. Kicked out for underage drinking and then put a statue at the front. How good is that, mate? So... Mate, I used to sell. I used to sell papers there. I was just sitting between the front bar and the back. The back bar was a, a real big monster bar at the Braybrook. Uh, and I remember one time there, there was a great fight between uh, a young Lester Ellis uh, who was on the verge of going in to be a pro, fighting a young boy called Rodney Bowman who was Australian amateur champion. And uh, there was, and outside of the ring, there was there was some bit of fights around the bar. Let me tell you, uh, it was a rough joint. Um, if you're a stranger going there, don't look at any, don't look at anyone. Just get a beer, sit down, and just drink your beer, and get the hell out of the joint. <laughs> that sounds like some good advice there. And obviously, you've mentioned um, oh, yeah. there was a bit going on. How do you think you would have gone in the social media age these days, with oh, everyone out recording everything on their phone? Um, and I believe there's a you know famous state of origin story that might not have held up to the media scrutiny these days. Jared, I don't, I'm not sure, Jared, speaking of son, I, I really don't know. I, geez, I'd have to change a fair bit of my ways of where I go. But you know, they, they, not, not just me, there'd be a lot of players from every club. You know, we, we were all, when you say villains, that was our out to have a beer and relax and enjoy ourselves and go out and have a good time. And that, that, was, that was a part of the culture back in the 70s and 80s and not as much as the 90s, but that was a culture back when I started in the 80s and, um, but you imagine, imagine now. I mean, you can't go and have a beer. You can't. They, they, what about the boys the other day going to get a kebab at three in the morning? Some dickhead, some dickhead wants to whack one of them. Who were they, who were they again? It was the um, who Richmond, was the, Richmond, Stack, Sydney, Stack, and Coleman Jones. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they're, they're in a they're in a hub. They're in a bubble. They can't go out. They're broke. They've done the wrong thing, and we we accept that. But some some gooses come up, want to whack them, and then all of a sudden they get in a bit of a push and shove. I mean, that would have happened if one of our happened to us. Our, our blokes having a couple of kebabs, and the bloke come up, want to have a crack. He'd be asleep. He'd be, 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 be just a, <laughs> mate. We wouldn't get we wouldn't get the rest of the year, mate. You get rubbed out for three years. <laughs> was there was there a spit? There was a uh, a famous one with Darren Mullane, wasn't there? Hawk at, uh, after a State of oh, Origin game. Right. 
Well, it's a quick one, very quick one. I'll cut it up. We, we went to Tasmania, we played a state game. We roomed together, me and Pants. Anyway, we went to the casino. This bloke kinged him. This bloke's just king at Darren. And the Pants didn't move one inch. And I thought, here we go. This is going to be on air for young and old. And I thought, bang, bang, it was all on. And anyway, we got locked up, me, Darren, and the late Danny Frawley, me, Spud, and Pants. And um, we got out, and the first bloke I saw was EJ. He said, Hawk, he said, Hawk, you look shit house. He goes, he said, where are you then? I said, mate, I've just got out of the slammer. <laughs> I've just done four hours in the slammer. He said, what? I said, I just I got locked up last night. He said, who was with you? I said, oh, me, Pants, and Spud. He said, shit. He said, listen, leave it to me. I'll keep it. I'll look after it. When he says mouse, when Ted said mouse, it was all fixed up. So when Ted said mouse, it was all good. So anyway, Rayleigh, my wife, said, listen, how'd you go last night? You were in that. I said, listen, hon, we had a few beers in the bar downstairs. We were in our room by one o'clock. We're in bed. You know, she said, oh, <laughs> Dougie, I love you. She said, I'm so worried about you and Darren being together. So the next day we drove together to in Footscray. We both worked in Footscray. She worked at Drake Personnel and I was at the Western General Hospital. I was working there as a, as a brain surgeon at that stage of my... Um, <laughs> I, was working, I was working here in the supply department. So anyway, the news flash comes on the radio and, and it was a bloke called Rob Ashbury. He said, three players from Victoria locked up in jail last night. And as I've gone to church, he's grabbed me hand. Said Darren Mullane from Collingwood, Danny Frawley from St Kilda, and Footscray's Dougie Hawkins. Oh, she said, you prick, you lying prick. I said, Rails, Ted said no one's going to find out about it. Tell you. She said, you stupid prick. Oh, no. So that was that one with uh, me and the great pants. And very sad in it, Darren, this year they, they won that flag in 1990. Um, now, how long is that? That's 30 years ago. and. Fitzroy was going to merge with Footscray in 1990. Would have been a terrific side, boys, let me tell you. If Footscray and Fitzroy merged when we're going to, uh, I reckon that would have challenged the Collingwood, Essendon, Footy, the grand final. No doubt. Once we gelled, Fitzroy Bulldog merging side would have been terrific. We're in a very, very good side. Yeah, so you think it's something that should have gone through there, Doug? Mitch, it was sort of. We, we had no money. We are broke. Um, the club was in trouble. The late Nick Collin was the president. Uh, obviously, they called in the great EJ and the late Charlie Sutton as well was called in and, uh, and we were just told that we've got financially, we, 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 we're knackered. You know, Mick, Mick, obviously, Mick Malthouse is, a, is a, a career coach and he had the chance to leave and go over to uh, West Coast Eagles, which he did. Uh, and in the meantime, Terry Wheeler got appointed as the coach. Uh, Peter Gordon uh, with Irene Chatfield and a lot of other people supported and helped. And all the people got behind Footscray. They rattled tins and people on corners. It was just an amazing rally that um, survived and kept us alive. And, you know, probably two years after that, we played off in a prelim final. We couldn't beat Geelong. Geelong were very, very good to get a crack up West Coast. Um, and that was in 1992 where a young Chris Grant come along at the age of 19 years of age and kick a five goals in a semi-final against St Kilda was outstanding. And um, But that side, I reckon, with Rusey and Pert and Richard Osborne and, and John Blakey and, and Broderick and Armstrong and Lynch at full forward. I've got a feeling the other day, John Anderson put an article in the Sunday Herald Sun of the team to, you know, in their positions. Mm. Um, very hard to beat, let me tell you. 
very hard to beat. Yeah, well, well, I suppose at least the dogs are now um, come good and had some success and seemed pretty financially viable. So made made some good steps in that direction. Anyone that's sort of had the longevity that you have um, over the career certainly uh, come across some uh, some sprays. Do you have any uh, memorable ones either directed at yourself or any of your teammates over the journey? Um, Dipper used to give me a good spray. Robert, you know, Dipper, Robert yeah, Dipper, yeah. He, he gave me a good spray, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, me and Dipper, we're born the same day, May the 5th. Between me and Dipper, we speak six different languages. <laughs> <laughs> Not one's English, but <laughs> Dipper, Dipper would say things about my mum. I didn't know my mum was capable of doing that. <laughs> Dipper, are you serious? I said, my mum would do that. <laughs> we, we had some great verbals. Probably probably the best was Tony Shaw. He was just a non-stop yapper. And he'd be in the, and, he, and he was good at picking blokes he knew he could get into. You know, if you come to me or McPherson or Peter Foster or Rick Kennedy or someone like that, we wouldn't care one inch. Brian Royal wouldn't care an inch. Uh, but, he, but he'd pick his mark and he knew he, he could nail him and keep going and keep going at him. And, and I remember saying to Shorey, Shorey, can you just shut up? Just just, just shut up? But Dipper was very much a bloke like that. Even though if he wasn't playing great, he'd stay in the game by his verbal encouragement to his teammates. He was just one of those blokes was up and about. Um, yeah, I, I got a – no, not really. I kicked the ball the wrong way one day. I come out at Waverley and it was a shit joint to be out at Waverley. I hated playing there. I came out at half time, I was freezing. The ball rushed out and I kicked it 50 metres. <laughs> I got to spray my my teammates. What are you doing, Hawk? I said, Oh, you're going that way. <laughs> I just lost focus. And yeah, that can happen, particularly at, at that level. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the players there, Hawk, because uh, most of the, the guests we've had have spoken about coaches or something like that. But it's good to hear the, the bit of byplay between the players was still occurring. Well, we could do line. that, Mitch. We could do it, you know, Mitch. We could do that. We could get away with the you know, the verbals and the sprays and, and the stuff they'd say about your mum and this and that, your sister and all that. Because you know, at the end of the day, what was said on the ground stayed there, you know, and, and it didn't go any further than that. And uh, I think now, because the game's changed totally, and you know, we're not talking about racists, but we're just talking about uh, in, just two blokes having a real good verbal spray, swearing at each other, carrying on. That was just that was part of the game, part of the game. Now, just off um, off football for a second, um, something that's probably a little bit topical at the moment, but um, back in 2013, you had a little foray into politics where you ran for the Victorian Senate with the uh, Palmer United Party. And this is something not many people are probably aware of, and I certainly wasn't <laughs> until a little bit earlier today. But can you just um, yeah, just explain what was going on there? Um, and if you managed to get a seat, in this day and age, what you might uh, say to Dan? Yeah, right, I'm glad you brought that up, son. Seriously, I I got a phone call. And um, you know when it comes up, no caller ID on your phone? And you look at it and you go, who's this prick? Who's, who's this? So I answer it like this. I go, hello? <laughs> <laughs> the voice back goes, this is Clive Palmer here. <laughs> I sort of went, Clive Palmer? I said, I know you. <laughs> anyway, he said, no, no, I don't think so. And he started laughing. As soon as I heard this laugh, 
I thought it was Russell Gilbert. Mate, Russell Gilbert would ring me. It'd be Jilly Gillard. It'd be Bob. <laughs> Russell Gilbert would be every different person. And this is Gilbert. I'm thinking this is Russell Gilbert, not Clive Palmer. And then I said, are you related to Scotty Palmer? He's a journalist in Melbourne. He said, no, no, I'm not. And then I said, are you the cousin of Chicken? Chicken Palmer. <laughs> He's hung up. He's hung up. So I said to myself, I stuck it up, Gilbo. I said, you little beauty, one to Dougie, 3,000 a Gilbo. So many minutes, anyway, three minutes later, my phone rings. And up comes the name Barry Michael, ex-IBF World Boxing Champion Barry Michael, who's a, who's the number one candidate for Clive Palmer. He rings me. He said, hey, go on, Hawk. I said, yeah, good champ. What are you up to? He said, mate, what are you up to? I said, what are you talking about? He said, mate, Clive Palmer, the billionaire's just rang you. He wants you to be part of his Senate. And you ask him, is he the cousin of Chicken Palmer? <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, the big fella's pissed off. He's not happy. <laughs> I said, Baz, I thought, I said, Baz, I thought it was Russell Gilbert. He said, mate, no, not Russell Gilbert. It was a big man. So anyway, very quickly, he flew me to Brisbane the next week. I met him. I met him. I got caught up in in, in the Gold Coast. Uh, his meeting at, at, at two o'clock was postponed to about seven o'clock that night. I'd just been in the casino all afternoon in the Gold Coast. I'm three quarters cut. Mercedes <laughs> picks me up and takes me to his big office, and he and he sat me down. He said, "Dougie, you've had a couple." I said, "Mate, I've had a I've had a skin for." I said, "Mate, I've been waiting six hours for you, you big prick." I said, "What are you kidding, Nigel?" And then he said to me, "You got to listen to me policies in case you decide to join me." I said, what do you mean the policies? He said, mate, the journos asked you about the policies. You've got to know what you're talking about. Then he started talking about the boat people, the boat smugglers coming into Australia. He went for about 20 minutes. I'm sitting there going, yes, Clive, great idea, Clive. I had no idea what you're talking about. No idea what you're talking about. Anyway, at the end, I said, Clive, I'm joining. I'm in. I'm going to do it. I said, I've got no idea. He said, mate, fantastic. You're on board. I get downstairs. The phone rings and Raylene, the wife, said, don't tell me. Don't tell me you're standing for the Senate with Clive Palmer. I said, Rose, here I am. And you know what she said to me? You've got no idea what you're doing. <laughs> you dickhead. You dickhead. What are you doing? That's Raylan ringing me now, I think. <laughs> He's good at all. So anyway, that was that was how, uh, Jared, I got across with um, Clive Palmer. What, what, what was going through my little brain at that stage of my life? Seriously, what was what was going through that little little minute thing ticking my half a half a brain? God, but anyway, it was a bit of fun. And uh, did you blokes vote for me? You'd only been about twelve or thirteen, you blokes. Yeah, uh, Paddy, Paddy wouldn't have been voting. Age. I would have been I would have been about eleven years old, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> thirteen. Mm. Um, if I could have, though, Anyway, that, that was that, that was that with Clive Palmer and. Uh, He's better than Dan Andrews, let me tell you. Oath. Um, no argument here. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, that, that line prick, anyway. <laughs> that line prick. I call him Triple D. Dictator, Dopey Dan. He's the whole three. Fair dickum. Oh, Mate, one uh, thing about us people, us people, what we, us boys now and Victorian people, we don't like liars. We don't like people who lie, and that is what he is. And, and his mate, Brett Rockstar Sutton, Fair to go. Has he got love bites in the mirror? That bloke, he's amazing. <laughs> hey, and that prick got love bites in the mirror. <laughs> and let us out, mate. Don't keep telling us we can't, we can do. Let us out. It's a, it's a, just release the brakes, please. You, they can't even walk down and play a game of golf. Can you believe that? We can go into a house, have five or six, seven people in there, 
and you can't walk down a golf course. Just bullshit. Seriously. Any questions more about Dan or not? <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely bang on. You would have been better than Billy Brownless in our politics, trust me, after his performances. Thanks very much for tuning in to part A of our interview with Dougie Hawkins. To continue on with Dougie, go on to part B, click next on whatever social platform you're on. Catch you there. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.